0: Hey everyone, we are back for Season 3, and I wanted to thank each of you personally, individually. So I have a small list of names here, no, I'm kidding guys. But of course, I do really want to thank you. Uh, we became a minor phenomenon after the controversy of uh, the comic book, Mouse, was banned in Tennessee. But we had already done an episode three months before which exploded around the world, which got us international notoriety and really helped spread the brand. And guess what? It's all because of you guys. None of that would have happened without you, and so we are eternally thankful for all you have done for us. We promise with Season 3, a little bit more of an effort to let you know what's going on. So, for those of you who try to follow along with us, obviously this episode we're doing To Kill a Mockingbird, but we release twice a month. So, the third Friday of the month, this month, August, we will be doing an episode on Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And at the intro of every episode, um, and near the end of the episode as well, I'll let you know what our next episode is if you're just listening along with us. Also, I want to let you know that we have added Mike Carroll as a permanent co-host. Uh, he's an excellent, <laughs> exciting younger presence who also has a young child. So for all of you who wonder how I'm able to do it with a eight-month-old at home, just know there's another young father who's a part of this. In the meantime, we've organized a very fun and exciting season, and we want to thank you for your continued support for Required Reading. Thanks, guys. Welcome to Required Reading, the one part of this I actually enunciate. Uh, Welcome to season three, ladies and gentlemen. We are back. And we want to thank you who are listening and those people who found us, and of course those of you who are replacing us with your summer reading um, for tuning in because after a bizarre last season, we charted everywhere, we got downloads by the hundreds of thousands, and it's because you guys found us. So we thank you. We are back uh, with another classic from American Literature to Kill Mockingbird by Harper Lee. Um, And uh, I will introduce my... Well, my regulars, my co-host,
1: Mike Burns, good to be back.
0: And Mike Carroll. And uh, Mike uh, Carroll uh, is going to be more permanent fixture this year. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) just to make it harder on me, since it's either Mike, Mike, or Nick. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, Now... I read this book when I was in middle school. Uh, this is my copy that has been chewed on, torn up, and reread and highlighted because apparently I was supposed to be highlighting and I wasn't sure what I was highlighting. <laughs> it was very poorly done. Uh, but you two have taught this book for years. So uh, before we even get into this, how do you relate to this book? How do students relate to this book, and why do you keep it on the curriculum?
1: I'll say that um, I never read it in middle school, and I didn't read it until, I guess like you, Mike, we were talking before, until I started at Marist, my first term at Marist, teaching eighth grade. I was like, I better read this. Um, and it had been sort of parallel, like I would other teachers in other schools would teach it, and I would choose a different book, but it was one of those things I never got around to. So when I did read it, this is, gosh, fall of 99, way back when, Uh, It blew me away. And then I taught it for 15 years or more, I guess. Um, And so I've never read it outside of being a teacher, but what I've grown, what I grew to love about it was it's such a perfect book for eighth grade in particular, just like the the, the way the story is told, what you can talk about literature and storytelling. uh, it, It really is perfect that way. And then you know the added weight of the the issues and and the racism yeah. and and the sense of justice and right or wrong. So in many ways, it's one of my favorite to teach. I miss teaching it. I haven't taught it for ten years. Um, because of this guy. Because yeah. of this guy. Yes. <laughs> Who am I hired? Yeah. you <laughs> has got my book? Right? Yeah, you yeah, yeah, so. I was, up, yeah, I was yeah. about
2: to say you quite literally kind of handed me the baton there in the form of your book where um, a little bit differently, I, I, I did read it when I was in seventh grade and then never read it again until I was teaching it, uh, teaching eighth grade at Marist my first year of teaching. Um, and as we discovered uh, shortly before starting so to record, it, this is indeed Mike. Your copy uh, <laughs> it does say Burns right across the uh, the side here. So you must have handed it to me right uh, right as I was uh, right as I was starting. Um, and re reading it as a teacher at this point, it was now nine ten years ago. Um, I I think that the the first time I read through it, it was a lot more. Kind of reading for plot. I remember being in seventh grade and reading it, and we we like mapped out the town of Maycomb. And oh, wow. I, I don't know why, but I vividly remember like needing to draw where the Finch's house was compared to Miss Maudie's house right. and the Radley house. And uh, I remember kind of like mapping that out as as kind of a creative adaptation uh, or addition to the story. Um, and then rereading it to teach it, um, I think I I grew in my appreciation of uh, of. Everything that Harper Lee is doing with it thematically and in terms of the kind of the as you were saying kind of the, the weight of the, the racism and the, um, the Morality that's behind the story and uh, the growth of the characters uh, over the course of the story uh, I think that as I taught it. I think I I grew to love it and uh, and that's certainly kind of where it is that I stand now Well, it's funny. Um I
0: reread this a few years ago when I was with Mike, trying to go back through, you know, some American classics that I hadn't read. But, you know, remember, this might be the first movie that I remember also thinking was a masterpiece. Yeah. Because when I watched when we read it in eighth grade, we watched the movie along with
1: it. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but as an adult, I realized that the themes of the movie are not just the, are the of the book, are not just the the, the the racism and stuff. but It's also what dignity means, right? Like, because... Yeah. Atticus, his idea of who he wants to be is very important. And that's, in some ways, the best way he relates to his kids. He's not like a uh, like a bad father. He's a great father. But he's not exactly a touchy-feely father. They mm-hmm. look up to him. He's very professorial in that way. But his, like, him respecting himself, his ide- identity and dignity is so important throughout all of this. Even how he relates to the other members of the town. Mm-hmm. Which... I mean, it's a strange novel in some ways, because obviously it flows together and it has a plot and progression. But it almost reads like a series of vignettes, and then the next one happens. Um, even, I mean, we'll get into the book more in a second, but even literally the first line, when he was nearly 13, my brother Jim got his arm broken badly at the elbow. When it healed, Jim's fears were never being able to play football. The way his arm is broken is so incredibly dramatic at the end of that, but that's not how the story is being told. It's told by a little kid who's trying to figure out. She's trying mm-hmm. to figure out how she's telling us. It's remarkable. It really is truly incredible.
2: Yeah, and I think that that very first line, and it's kind of the the story of, and I think it kind of sets it up too, where it's a story like you're saying, Nick, that that is kind of based off of those vignettes, and it's it's it's. Kind of like these little snippets or these snapshots of these children as they're growing up that's one that's one aspect of it obviously the the trial of tom robinson is is another hugely important aspect of right. it but the these these kind of snippets that you get of the of the childhood at the end of the story it gives you kind of a full picture of uh, of the moral development of these characters and i think that the first line sets it up so well because it, th- this, in some ways, in terms of the plot, is a story about how Jem got his arm badly broken at the elbow, but it's not how it is that he gets it broken. It's it's why, and it's the story behind that breaking of the elbow and all that that leads up to that that takes place in this flashback. And I think that it, it kind of gears the readers to with the very first sentence of the story to know that 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 you're looking at a story here that's not just about what it is that's happening, but how and why it is that it's happening. And I think that that it does such a remarkable job of that with the very. First yeah, and um,
0: Burns Mike. Yes. <laughs> um, when before preparing for this, when was the last time you had
1: read it? ten years ago when you taught it? Yeah, last? probably the last fall term that I taught it. Yeah, yeah, so prior to hiring Mike and Jason, yeah. So
0: I'm because I'm just curious. Rereading it, were you? Did you remember all the plot beats? Because for me. Like, if, I were, if you were to ask me just cold what percentages uh, you th- I thought things were going on, I'm like, where well, there's that thing with Boo Radley at the middle. And then the, 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 the trial is like the whole second half of it, mm-hmm. isn't it? You forget how it's built, but it's structured so specifically, fantastically. Yeah. That, like, when they don't even mention the fact that the people in town start really hating on Atticus because he's defending Tom Robinson, that's like a third of the way through the book. So much has happened to, that you you said you had to draw a town of makeup. You could. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's got an incredibly vast cast of characters that Scout keep re-mentioning, so mm-hmm. they, they are kind of important. So when she's sitting in the trial, who she sits next to has already been established. Who's leaving the place has been established. It's, it's really neat how they do that, um, which makes it a great novel. Mike and I will eventually come to blows over whether this is the greatest novel or Great Gatsby. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I sure. think no matter what you choose, you're doing okay. This is fantastic.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, and to build on that, I'll say, and and what's rewarding about this, and I'm sure you would agree, Mike, is that even after teaching it for so many years, uh, you know, four times a day or whatever it was, whatever the teaching load was, I never got tired of it. No. I've always unfolding or seeing new things in ways that I hadn't seen before. And the, partly that's the gift of teaching because you'll get feedback from the kids or questions like, oh, I never really thought about that. And, and um, But that's that's what, you know, good quality, great literature will do. It'll, it'll keep unfolding for you. Yeah.
2: yeah, and I think that this is particularly unique about how it is that we teach it at Maris too. But it's, it's we kind of like build up to it in the first term. And I don't, I, I can't vouch for whether that's when it is that you taught it, uh, when yeah. you taught it, Mike. Yeah. But the, the way that we do it is we have a short story unit that kind of, it gives all the kids the tools that they need in order to be able to kind of really address literature the way that we want for them to be able to in eighth grade. And then once we're done with that short story unit, we spend the, the really the the second two thirds of the term, the, the certainly the second half of the term, just reading To Kill a Mockingbird. And now that they have the tools, it's, it's part of what's rewarding about it as well is for some of the students that I teach, it's their first time really addressing literature in this intense, thematic way. And so you get to see kind of those light bulbs go off. and You get to see them really appreciating literature in a way that they haven't done in classes before. Uh, So that, that I think, is another reason why it is something that we keep coming back to again and again and again, because it has kind of that, that, that value to it, uh, not just for for me reading it, but also for the students reading it.
1: Yeah, so for all the teachers that might be listening out there, Mike, and this was always a struggle, like no matter how much time we gave it, it always felt rushed. So where are you recently, or what were you planning for this fall? How long would you give to teach Mockingbird? Yeah,
2: yeah, uh, certainly. So it, yes, uh, (laughs) that's absolutely how Jason and I have felt about it for the last nine years is it, it, Always seems to kind of sneak up at the end of the term, and the number of shorts, So I, I was just saying that we have that short story unit that we that we cover beforehand. The number of short stories that we started with, I think, was six, and then we narrowed that down to five, and then four, and then I think this year we're only going to have three short stories that we're going to be reading because To Kill Mockingbird does take that do much time. With that, yeah. I mean, yeah, you you need to you need to spend the time to to address all of those those idiosyncratic kind of moments and the, those themes and, and those really important moments in the text. But also, it is a longer text for us to be, it's, it's certainly the longest text that we read in eighth grade. And so for us to be able to finish it by the end of the term, it's it's a challenge. And sometimes we find ourselves making our way towards the end of the term and we're like, where, where did all of our class agreements go? And, and suddenly we have our students who are reading 25, 30 pages a night and we're, we're saying, please read. Please read. Please actually read. You know, so it, it it certainly is one that you need to dedicate the time to it. Otherwise, as as the the, the fear becomes that you throw thirty five pages worth of of reading at them, and no matter how good it is, they're not going to do it. Yeah, or uh, so it are so exactly. So so it ends up it ends up kind of being that challenge of making sure that you're 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 balancing the pace along with the the just just how beautiful and how much of a masterpiece the the, the novel
1: is. And do you um teach the movie too or show the film as yeah. well because you know, I'm it, it sure it'll come up a lot today but um, yeah there's so much there in its own right as well
2: yeah I was, I was going to ask you Mike if you did what we did which is we, we as we make our way through we don't watch the entire movie but we have the, the clips and the scenes that it is that we think are, are vitally important for them to see and so once we make our way through the first couple of chapters we'll go back and take a look at uh, that three or four scenes from the from the movie kind of skipping around uh to show them the the moments that we think that particularly the director is doing something in terms of the cinematography that is revealing one of the themes that we're covering Uh, so we we do go back through uh and and take a look at at some of the movie but we don't have i mean what we were just talking about how much it feels like a crunch at the end of the term to to get it in we certainly don't have time to be able to watch the whole thing, but there there are the scenes that we that we show over the course of it. I'm I'm assuming that that was the same when you were same, saying,
1: yeah. And then yeah, sort of always how much can you show or do you want to show, and it's always a battle, right? But exactly. So much good material that mm-hmm. it's you really can't go wrong giving more time to it. If, yeah. To either the film or that. I'm curious too for you, Nick or, or or Mike. Um, I think recently within the last two or three years it was. A Broadway show again with Aaron Sorkin. And in R- fact, R- R- did any you see the, it? Have you seen it? I have a, not seen I see it. I want to see it.
0: But right now, the woman who played uh, Scout is playing I think Miss body Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh wow.
1: Yeah. Really? So. There you go. Yeah,
0: yeah. I haven't. I, I've seen a stage version of it, but not the new. Version. Jeff
1: Daniels played Atticus, I think.
0: That sounds right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Or at least the initial. Run. It's supposed to be incredible. Right. Um, this is neither here nor there, but I wish more Broadway shows got filmed like they did for Hamilton because, I mean, obviously it doesn't make the same kind of money, but at a certain point people just can't go to see it in New York or Chicago and some stuff tours, but unfortunately the Fox is a very different experience. It's so big and echoey. It's a different kind of acting you have to do. So I just wish I could see it, but I have not yet, though. Um... But can you imagine having to fill the shoes of Gregory Peck? Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, that's good and bad. But having taught it and seen the film so many years, I can't read it and not think of. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So. Do. especially,
0: um, I mean, and again, we'll get. Well, we'll, I promise we'll eventually talk about the, the book. Yeah. But like, especially his closing statements and mm-hmm. the way he takes off his glasses and Scout is shocked. He loosens his tie. All I can hear is Gregory Peck saying those things, yeah. you know, uh, when he's talking about we would we could have gotten him on appeal. Like, that's Gregory Peck to me. It will always be Gregory Peck. Um, and even the lines that are in the book that aren't on the screen, I still hear in his voice. Uh, so there you have it. Um, so, all right, Teach. Uh, since you're the one who teaches it, how do you want to break this down? Do you want to go section by section kind of?
2: Yeah, yeah. so I, I've got kind of the, the, the rough plot kind of jotted down here, so I do not know if you wanted for me to kind of go through the entirety, and then we could go back through, or if you want me to kind of go through a couple of the different plot events, and then we could uh, kind of slow the, down. and For
0: the sake of keeping it straight in everyone's head, let's do it kind of section by section. Okay. Um, so let's talk
2: about, so the cold open is essentially Dill coming to town. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of the, the, the inciting event is, the, uh, is Dill, their summertime friend that's, that, that comes to town. Um, and Dill has a fascination with uh, the Radley house, specifically Boo Radley. Uh, so just kind of the the, uh, the young characters that we're following along. Obviously, we've we've got Scout, who is our narrator, who's telling the story in flashback. But over the course of the story, she grows from around six or seven years old, um, and she she grows to be uh, she, she gets to be a couple of years older than that. Uh, as Nick was reading earlier, on Jem is the older brother of uh, of young Scout, and Jem, uh, over the course of the story, will be nearly thirteen. That's the that's the first line that we get is that he gets his arm badly broken at the elbow when he's nearly thirteen years old, and that's that's really the the event that we're that we're building up to, and
0: their relationship changes because he goes from being a kid into being a preteen. Yes. And that's actually part of the plot. Yes. Because he goes from being a playmate to more of a protector.
2: Yeah. Um, where Atticus
0: doesn't quite know how to deal with it, yeah. which is interesting. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Uh, and so Dill kind of falls in between the age of Scout and Jem, but Dill's character is really interesting uh, because even though he, in terms of his age, is between, uh, is between Scout and Jem, his maturity uh, doesn't—he uh, doesn't experience the same events that the Finch children do, and as a result of that, doesn't quite mature at the same rate that that Scout and Jem do. And you get some some snippets at that that we can uh, that we can take a look at a little bit later on. That that Dill kind of keeps himself in this kind of uh, this kind of fairy tale land, and that's that, that's where he wants to be. Uh, but nevertheless, Dill Dil comes to town, comes to the town of Makum, um, and he's kind of obsessed with the Radley house um, and the Radley house is the the house of the one of the one of the kind of down the street neighbors of I'm trying to it's funny I've got that that old map in my <laughs> head from, <laughs> from seventh grade of, uh, of of the town of Maycomb, but uh, but the Radley house it, it's kind of the and, and we now in class, we draw a picture of it uh, in one of our first lessons of the Radley House. And yeah. I put it up on the on the whiteboard, and we can see that it's, it's kind of like the description of a haunted house. Right. Um, the, the way that, and of course, it's being described through the eyes of these young children. So it, it kind of takes on that that mystique of the haunted house. But um, but the, the Radley House is kind of always kind of hovering over in the periphery of the children's imagination. Um, so so Dill comes to town. Um, and then we we start to see Scout and Jem. They go to school. Uh, we get a little bit of a description of Atticus and their kind of uh, their the the nurse and maid that that helps Atticus to raise the children. Because as we learn in the first chapter, Atticus's wife has passed away, uh, Calpurnia. Uh, and Calpurnia is the cooks and cleans and uh, and is kind of the the one one of the motherly figures, probably the the uh, closest thing to a motherly figure that uh, that the children have in uh, in in the Finch house. Uh, so we the, we start to see in the first couple of chapters as them they go to school. Uh, we meet Walter Cunningham, who has an older who whose father will uh, be one of the characters who's uh, who is. Um, who plays a, a more significant role later on in the story? Um, but uh, we, we get a little bit of the kind of the social climate of of Makeham as well, where uh, young Walter Cunningham is the son of one of the families that's a farmer in the town, and we hear that the that the stock market crash hit, affected them a little bit more more so than some of the uh, than some of the other characters in the town. Um, but, but yeah, so, so we kind of get the, the introduction of a lot of these characters early on in, um, early on in the first, really, like, eight chapters or so. Mm-hmm. Miss Monty's house burns down, we get the first snow in a number of years in Macon County, Alabama. Uh, but in a lot of ways, it's kind of this, this introduction to the town and introduction to the characters. Um, and it doesn't really go much beyond that until we get into chapter nine. Uh, and we can, uh, I don't know where it is that we want to stop and kind of talk about the characters or if we want to kind of jump right into the, the Christmas at Finch's Landing, which is, when, uh, which is when Atticus, of course, is talking with his brother um, about the trial. And they kind of thing things start to kind of escalate from there. Well, why don't we get to that? That, that can be our next yeah.
0: place to pick yeah. up. Um, a, a quote I pulled that I think is good uh, is written in the beginning where she's describing Maycomb and Maycomb County. And
2: it's, it's a tired
1: old town. Yeah, it's a
0: tired old town. It's rough. Uh, there was no hurry for there was nowhere to go. Nothing to buy and no money to buy it with. Nothing to see outside the boundaries of Macon County. But it was a time of vague optimism for some people. Macon had recently told it had nothing to fear but fear itself. Mm-hmm. So we have a time period. This is the Great yep. Depression, 1933. And she's a, it's after her fifth birthday. Yeah. Right. Um, but like we get into it a little later. But there's a very rigid hierarchy right? Mm-hmm. You have the old money, the old who don't work and just judge everyone. Yeah. <laughs> we get a few of them. We get the professionals uh, like Atticus and the the judge who I love. I think he's my favorite character outside of the yeah. family. Um, but then we have the very poor and among them are the Cunninghams who are good honest folk but they don't have two red cents to rub together mm-hmm. and the Yules who we'll get to who are they're layabouts. They live off the people. Trash, as you say,
1: right? yeah. which is very specific. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I was just going to add that, and and those of you listening or you guys know that um, this is based on Harper Lee's growing up in Monroeville, Alabama. Mm-hmm. So, any of you guys ever been there? No,
0: I have not. I well, I mean, I've driven around it. I, I know I know plenty of people who live in Alabama, but they're big city folk,
1: right? Uh, you know, for a while ago, we had a field trip for Marisol with my colleague Suzanne Greenwood. Um, would take kids um, to visit Monroeville and see the iconic courthouse, which is what the film based it on. Um, And then Dill is based on Harper, or not Harper, Lee, Truman Capote, who was a real-life childhood friend of Harper Lee. I don't know if we want to go there, but some people think that, and this is kind of a one and done for Harper Lee. She wrote this and never really wrote much else. And some people think Capote was a ghostwriter or involved in that. Uh, It's a conspiracy (laughs) theory, but I'll just say that it's out there. Um, yeah it's just a tired old southern town in the depression and nothing going on and the first chapters are just you know like Huck Finn hijinks Tom Sawyer kind of stuff and, and yeah
0: well the first act of this feels very much like a Huck Finn because you know there's this whole idea that you know uh, Atticus at the end has a line that like white people will always take advantage of black people and it's important for you to be good and honest because no one else will, you know, that kind of thing, which does read a lot like Huck Finn. Mm-hmm. But um, I was going to ask the two English people here um, what Southern Gothic means, because I would say, in some ways, this is a quintessential Southern Gothic. A lot has been done since, including Truman Capote's excellent book, In Cold Blood. Um, but, like, I guess this would be an example. So does that qualify? What does that mean?
1: I don't know. <laughs>
0: well,
1: it's, it's funny. I didn't go there in eighth grade. Yeah. Eighth grade about Southern Gothic. So. Yeah, it, it, it's funny you say I'll that refer. because we,
2: we we address it in the in the context of uh, of Gothic literature. Right. Um, and one of the short stories that we teach leading up to it is the Cask of Amontillado, which oh, yeah. is certainly uh, Poe does such a, a wide breadth of all of his Gothic literature and. So the the students have kind of that idea in their mind, but we also need to kind of debunk the fact that Gothic literature means uh, like bricking somebody up in your basement and murdering <laughs> them, which is obviously the, the <laughs> cask of amontillado kind of in a nutshell. Uh, so so the where that where that line of Southern Gothic literature falls in the in in the meantime, we do talk about and we and we talk about it quite a bit actually in the in the very first chapter when we're talking about the description that you get of. Of the Radley place, sure. Um, and then uh, a little bit later on, when Jem is giving his uh, his description of what Boo Radley is looking like, and and of course it's it's all childish, but we but you you kind of get the the this kind of this haunted aspect of it. And uh, and then a little bit further on, it's I don't think that it's any coincidence that the that the climactic moment of the story um, takes place on on the night of the Halloween pageant, right? And, and so you you get kind of these. These little tidbits that kind of are a a recognition that that there is this aspect of the Gothic and I think that it comes up in the sense of it being there are aspects of the story that almost like can't quite be explained and there's kind of a notion of the supernatural and in To Kill a Mockingbird I think that it is important because so many of the things that these characters these young characters in particular are encountering for the first time they can't explain mm-hmm. and they don't understand and there's aspects of race and there's aspects of morality that they don't understand just like they don't understand a haunted house just like they don't understand uh, a ghost just like they don't understand all those other aspects of gothic literature they also don't understand these really important and overwhelming themes and concepts and they're, they're and they're encountering them and i think that it's as as much as we're following these characters through the story, we're also following them through their understanding. Sure. I will say that the way that I teach it and Mike, I'm not sure the extent to which you dove into this when you were teaching it as well, but we teach it as a build on Roman, which sure. we teach the we, we tell the students that's a a coming of age tale in which the characters develop morally sure. but that's going to take place over the course of the entire story it's not just going to be kind of the, at the snap of the finger oh right. yeah now i understand race and humanity and morality it's going to have to it's going to take place over the course of the of the trajectory of the entire story and so i think that the aspects of gothic literature at least how we teach it no. is that the, there are aspects of of the supernatural of the gothic that these that these children don't understand. And they're they're trying to kind of piece together these things as they're progressing through their bildungsroman.
0: Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I bring it up because, um, I don't know who reads this or why, trust me. Um, but if you're reading it because you're trying to understand literature better, I think it's important to get a little bit into the, the genre. Mm-hmm. And something I generally associate with the Southern Gothic style is someone is an outsider and they don't belong. Mm-hmm. This is a place that works fine until you came along. And that they're the disruptor. In some ways, though, that makes this not a gothic because mm-hmm. still comes to town and no one cares. But the town turns on Atticus, yeah, which is interesting. You know, uh, southern gothic uh, in, in movie form, something like the original Rambo is a southern gothic because mm-hmm. he comes to town and the sheriff's like, we don't want you in our town. Or Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There's that one family you stay away from because they're the, the, the they're not our kind of people. But then you get embroiled with them and bad things happen. That, that is Southern Gothic. This town works just fine. is just fine until Tom Robinson and Atticus Finch and, and something happens.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, which well, you, that, should, you could argue that yeah.
1: Boo Radley is that outsider. Yeah. yeah. Right? And so he's sort of built into their system there. It's um, interesting. As the people who you know don't say hey or no one walks there, they don't have their screen porches open and all those yeah. little details that <laughs> make, <laughs> make them different. In Dude. a small town where everyone knows everyone's business, so that was something I always try to do because I don't know that our kids in suburban Atlanta understand what that sort of lifestyle is. Yeah, where the one everybody knows everybody. House. Yeah, yeah. And, but yeah, everyone has that creepy house, on, on your drive to work or school or <laughs> or something, and that's the Radley place. Yeah,
0: I, I can tell you when I taught in Carroll County, they got. That. There's, <laughs> there's always that one house that has the broken down The that, family that's just a little that, <laughs> different
1: for whatever reason, yeah.
0: That no one bothers. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they go to Kroger after it's like, because it's a 24-hour Kroger, so they're there at like 2 in the morning, so no one sees them. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, but Bradley is such an interesting character because at one point, I forget if it, which one of the three has the line, but they're like, didn't they just kill him and shove him up the chimney?
2: <laughs> they're asking people. Um, Yeah, and I think that that kind of is, it's so interesting the way that the story is structured because for the first eight or nine chapters, for the first third of the story, really, the fascination is on Boo Radley. And then... Once you get into the later part of the story, the
1: Boo Radley kind of vanishes Just away. Just gone. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. even mentioned anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And
2: so, and, and the the trial starts to kind of move its way into the picture. Yeah. And then, of course, at the end of the story, Boo Radley has has that redemptive, uh, that redemptive... Incredible remake. scene. An yeah. incredible scene. Yeah. Um, a couple of moments we should start about
0: before we get to um, the, the the Christmas. First thing that we, we should mention, of course, is Scout finally has to go to school, mm-hmm. and as teachers, this scene always grinds me. But I know exactly who they're talking about. But since she can already read and write and do basic arithmetic, she's been being taught by her father, and he's doing it wrong.
1: She's so excited to go to school yeah. too, right? Yeah, she's so <laughs> excited, and then does not go well.
0: <laughs> but, but I mean, it's everything. Uh, it's the 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 young naive teachers. It, and I don't know where she went to. Sc- I forget. They mentioned she goes to, to like really really goes to college. She's a really educated woman. But she comes in with so much idealism, and they break her by the second day. Uh, There's the Cunninghams and the Yules, and like they only come for the first day because the the truant officer makes sure they show up one day, and they never come back. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the scene that sticks with you is the lunch scene because the Cunninghams don't have money, don't have lunch. Mm -hmm. She gives them whatever quarter to buy lunch, and she being the teacher, The teacher, right? Right. Yep. Um, And they all look to Scout to say why he won't take it. Yeah. he's a Cunningham and then she sits down yeah um but this idea that there's this I mean again it's the Atticus sense of dignity Mm -hmm. like he knows they'll never be able to pay them back and therefore he's not gonna borrow the money and at one point uh, Cunningham comes to dinner yeah and he wants to put molasses on everything because you know it's I guess today it would be ketchup but it's they're used to crappy food made as best they can so you cover it up with A1 steak sauce yeah and you know Scout's pointing it out and Atticus, no, it's he's eating because he can
2: eat. Yeah. And and I think that it's it's Calpurnia and it's one of the first scenes that you actually encounter Calpurnia yeah. as well, who says that it's something along the lines of anybody that steps foot into this house is your company. Yeah. And I'm not gonna see you I'm not gonna see you trying to uh, talk about them as, as if they were lesser than you or something like that. Yeah. I, I can't remember exactly how the line goes, but it's but it's a moment where you recognize, oh, okay, so the the morality of the Finch household it's almost kind of like the safe haven where mm-hmm. where in terms of the entire town of Maycomb and there are, there's enough going wrong in the town of Maycomb morally that that you kind of need a little bit of that safe haven and there Atticus and Calpurnia, and I would argue across the street Miss Mahdi it, it kind of creates this this kind of safe zone for the children mm-hmm. uh, where they do have these beacons of light that they can follow to to kind of to, to continue along with that build on Vermont talk that I was doing earlier to kind of to continue growing and developing morally. Uh, and I think that that's, that's so important that, that we distinguish that, that they kind of are that beacon of light, Hepurnia and Atticus and this Mahdi and, uh, in the midst of a town that without that beacon of light can get pretty dark. Well and something else that when you're reading
0: this, if you are reading it for a class or a book club or whatever you should keep track of, are authority figures and what kind of authority they have mm. Atticus is in one way the man of the people he's their representative in the legislature and there's even jokes that like while everyone else is out drinking and cavorting he's working on actual laws right he's also the public defender and he seems to know everyone and when Cunningham comes to dinner he can talk about hay prices with him because He's that folksy guy. Mm-hmm. You know, and you get that with the judge also. The judge who's there, you know, chewing on his cigar until it's all chewed up and spitting it out. But it's just, it's interesting who is respectable and who isn't and what that means. And, and it's told very slowly. We learn about Atticus more and more as it goes on. Uh, including an incredible scene, which I don't forget if it happens before Christmas or after Christmas, but when he takes down the rabbit dog. Mm -hmm. Which, it's right afterwards, it's actually the very next chapter. Then we'll get to it, it's good. Uh, Mm -hmm. The only other one that we haven't talked about, because she comes later, is Aunt Alexandra. Yeah. Who is really something. That is probably the most Huck Finn it gets. Uh, She tried
1: to civilize me, but... Yeah, she represents the Old South. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Or the old ways. (laughs) (laughs) It
0: is is awful, and Scout makes it feel awful, and you feel awful for her, Mm -hmm. but... She's incredibly important to the last half of this book.
2: Yeah, yeah so, absolutely.
0: Um, the last thing I guess we should mention is there's a fire. Mm-hmm. Um, the first snow ever in Maycomb County, as long as they can anyone can remember. Uh, and to me, this is a perfect kids chapter because they go to everyone's yard to scrape us as much snow as possible so they can make a snowman and it looks like the neighbor. And Atticus thinks it's the funniest stamp that yeah. you've ever seen. But you better hide it because he'd be upset if he realizes it's him. Yep. Um, But uh, the neighbor across the street uh, leaves her heater on Mm -hmm. and her house catches fire. Mm -hmm. Um, Which, I mean, this is the town coming together. Everyone's trying to rescue it. The old asshole down the street shoving furniture out, eventually throws out his back. Um, But the kids get protected Mm -hmm. by Boo Radley.
2: Yeah. And that's kind of the last we see of him for about half the book <laughs> yeah yeah that's the that's the last time you kind of you, you see the character of Boo radley for a little while and it's actually in it's in that moment when uh you see a little bit of the age gap between Jem and scalp because it's at that moment when when atticus says to Jem that oh looks like looks like uh all of our neighbors were out during the during the fire tonight and Jem kind of like on the on the drop of the hat like turns around starts crying and and scout says that he starts releasing all the secrets that they've been penting up all these all the, the games that they've been playing and everything and it's because jim recognizes wait a minute if that's what Boo Radley is capable of, then maybe he's not that monster after all, right. and and the, the line's funny because Scout, you get such a good juxtaposition because Scout says that just the thought of Boo Radley being that close to her turned her stomach to water, made her want to throw up, right, because this monster is so close to her, because she's not quite where where Jem is, and Jem is a little bit further along in, in, in terms of that moral yeah. development that, that it, it shows a little bit of that age gap there, and I think that it's it's a moment that we kind of slow down and take and unpack as a class when we're teaching it Mm -hmm. because it it shows kind of some of that uh some of that distancing between gem and scout that you really see when mrs dubose comes i think it's chapter 11 or 12 Mm -hmm. Uh, and you you really start to see the the maturity of gem and scout's still trying to kind of figure it out
1: and it's really subtle too because and the kids i don't think get this most of the time but um it's Boo Radley that is has protect, like put the blanket on Scout, yeah. and and so you realize that this is a protective sort of, um, I'm, I'm, oversimplifying it, but like this angel looking out for them yeah. earlier, and it's just it's a little bit of foreshadowing. It's very subtle because yeah. then it just disappears when it shifts to the trial. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and, and I mean, throughout this whole first part, Boo Radley is like aghast or something, like you mm-hmm. know, he's. There's like a telenovela that they they come up with that they're playing along the whole summer and they're adding to the story. Meanwhile, when school starts, Dill's not there for this, which is important. Yeah. There's this little crook in a tree and he's hiding Mm -hmm. little presents for them. You know, gum and bits of yarn and string. And Jem kind of sort of figures it out, but he's not really sure. But in some ways, their childhood ends when Papa fills it in with concrete. Yeah. Um... Which Atticus gets immediately, Yeah. Right? He goes, "That's not a sick tree. Something's yeah. going on." But, but, but it's just—it's so interesting the way that this man who doesn't relate to people is trying to relate to these kids. Yeah. Um, at one point, he make, gives them soap figures of themselves, mm-hmm. and it's—it's—it's it's, it's, that's the gothic part. Like, is this sweet? Is this guy scary? We don't really know
1: that he carves, which will become important later. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> that's not a knife. Yes, mm-hmm. a a knife, knife skills. Knife. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so um i guess everything kind of turns at christmas so you want to talk about christmas
2: yeah yeah so the at christmas which takes place at the landing which is kind of the the name of the the household that's in the finch family where the extended family comes and uh and and meets for christmas uh it's the the siblings of atticus uh, Uncle Jack to the kids, um, and then Aunt Alexandra, who are who are uh, among the gathering, um, and and Scout is, gets into kind of like a a, a fist fight with one of her cousins. Um, I'm the name's escaping me now. Aunt Cecil. Cecil. Yeah, yeah Cecil. Uh, it's a very it's, punchable name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so he he um, Cecil was uh, using. The N word in uh, in reference to Atticus's defending of Tom Robinson, uh, and Scout doesn't know why this makes her super angry, but it makes her super angry uh, to the point that he that, that that she punches that she punches Cecil, um, and then Uncle Jack, who is Atticus's brother, comes to kind of like be like, why are you guys fighting one another? Why are you rubbing your cousin's nose in the dirt? Um, and at which point Scout tells tells her uncle, tells Uncle Jack what it is that Cecil was saying, mm-hmm. um, and Uncle Jack, who does not have any children, doesn't know what to do with this and goes and talks to Atticus. Um, and it's at that point that Atticus and, and his brother, Jack, talk for the first time about the trial. Um, and this is a conversation that's taking place, kind of, you get the idea that it's around the corner in the landing, and Scout certainly is not supposed to be listening to this conversation. Um, and the that, that becomes very clear at the end of the conversation but Atticus is talking with his brother about how bad this trial is going to get um, and, and just how just how much it's weighing on him and just how much he, Fears it's going to weigh on his children, Jim and Scout. Why don't you um, read that, Mike? I've yeah, read, yeah. I've, so I, I've I heard actually, you teach it before. I and marked I it up, and I, I, yeah. gosh, I just love this passage. Every time, every time I read it, I get, I get goosebumps. i just back, back up
1: because I'm looking at, at my text tube, and there's a lot of humor, particularly in the first part that I don't think the kids get, but as an adult you get. And so when um, Scout is confused by like you know the N word and why it makes her mad. And he, she says it made it sound like you were running a still, like that's the worst thing you can do is run a still and make alcohol in this time period versus the N word, and so um, it, it's just the the humor that the kids won't get, but
2: yeah, so it, so it, it resonates it, more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's it's one of these passages that I always i, I get super uh, i get super excited about when I'm when I'm reading to the kids. Um, it, it and it's it's just so wonderfully wonderfully kind of played out. Uh, and you get that, that allusion, to, uh, the, the allusion to the Bible, too, of the let this cut pass from you, mm-hmm. which is, which is uh, kind of painting Atticus in a lot of ways as that, as that Christ figure. And we, we, we talk about that as well. Um, but I, I guess I'll just start up here where it says, Uncle Jack said, yes, he remembered them. This is talking about the Ewells. He described them to Atticus, but Atticus said, you're a generation off. The present ones are the same, though. What are you going to do then? Before I'm through, I intend to jar the jury a bit. I think we'll have a reasonable chance on appeal though. I really can't tell at this stage, Jack. You know, I hope to get through life without a case of this kind, but John Taylor pointed at me and said, you're it. But this cut passed from you, eh? Right. But do you think I could face my children otherwise? You know what's going to happen as well as I do, Jack. And I hope and pray I can get Jem and Scout through it without bitterness and most of all, without catching Maycomb's usual disease. And it's that, that, Awesome line about the, about that Makeham's usual disease that that we learn later on it has to do with racism uh, and 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 the treatment of uh, the treatment of Tom Robinson that comes later on. But the, I'll, I'll skip I'll skip a little bit further further down where we get this line that says I just hope that Jen and Scout come to me for their answers instead of listening to the town. I hope they trust me enough, Jean Louise. My scalp jumped. I stuck my head around the corner. Sir, go to bed. I scurried to my room and went to bed. Uncle Jack was a prince of a fellow not to let me down, but I never figured out how Atticus knew I was listening. It was not until many years later that I realized he wanted me to hear every word he said. And I, I, even right now, I'm getting goosebumps as I'm as I'm reading it through because it's this moment, it comes full circle where you realize that Atticus knew that Scout was listening and wanted to make sure that Scout and Jim went to Atticus for their moral development and not somewhere else in the town in order to keep them from, in order to try and keep them protected. Now, he's not gonna be able to do that throughout the entire story. But at this point in the story, in this moment, we get the impression that Atticus is communicating to Scout that He wants for her to turn to him and not to any of the other places to know what's right from wrong. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it comes in this in this kind of backwards way through this conversation with his brother, where we really hear about the trial for the first time. So it, it, it kind of ties off with such a nice little bow. Just everything that Atticus is trying to say to Scout that he can't say right to Scout. And I think that it just it just does such a great job with it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's really a, a, an object lesson in his parenting style, right? Yeah. I mean, the kids call him Atticus, right? Yeah. And so that's always interesting to talk about, but how he treats them like adults. but doesn't preach to them like many yeah. parents or teachers do. And so that resonates.
0: Yeah. yeah. And, and it's also, I don't know. You don't get much fear from him, mm-hmm. always disappointment, mm-hmm. right? Like even the scene that will, I mean, it's pretty much the next big scene when he's sitting outside the courthouse or uh, the prison or whatever. But, mm-hmm. um, there's just something about the way that he's so calm. Like he, he pushes the glasses up on his nose. He doesn't take them off like he's going to fight. He's just sitting there reading. Mm-hmm. And the idea that, what, she's six or seven at this point, um, that she wants to listen to him read, like, the, the, the newspaper from Mobile, uh, because that's what he's reading. He just would read out loud, whatever. It's, there's just something so elegant about the way he is. And, you know, Uncle Jack is you know the one without kids so he's Mm -hmm. the fun goofy one and then he doesn't know how to be a disciplinarian but she convinces him he jumped to the wrong conclusions because she's also a little attorney which is kind of great (laughs) because that's the only way she's learned she's learned from Atticus um it's phenomenal yeah um yeah so uh,
2: the next movement is to build up to the trial and trial yeah, so the the build up to the trial I think has it, it kind of really starts to kick into gear there at Christmas, and then you get a couple of scenes that that follow afterwards, which one of which is the um, the the shooting of the rabid dog, where Atticus kind oh of steps out into the street and uh, and Tim Johnson, uh, the the name of that dog that so so closely resembles Tom Robinson, um, and then the Mrs. Dubose, who is the crotchety old lady who. Uh, who Jem goes and reads to um, in order to keep her mind off of the uh, the she's trying to kick herself of a morphine habit before she dies um, and and so. Jem oh. goes to read to her before uh before she eventually ends up passing away yeah he's um, made
1: to go read for her right yes he yes and down her azaleas yeah, so, yeah.
2: And, and that's that's such a that's such a big moment it's actually the very end it's kind of like the the climax if you will of part one of the story right uh where where you get kind of this this recognition by by jim there that 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 his father is really kind of the, the puppet master behind the, behind the scenes that's, that's trying to kind of goad him along and help him along in, in, in his development. And then that, I think that the, the leading up to the, the trial kind of culminates with the jailhouse steps, which is right. the, the moment where Atticus is sitting, reading the newspaper on the jailhouse steps um, in order to protect Tom Robinson, who's being kept in the jailhouse until the trial. Um, and it's at that point that there is a mob who is there to um, who is there to, Linch, to lynch, lynch and kill Tom Robinson. Yeah. Um, and it 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 takes the children stepping forward in order to in order to save the day. But that's kind of the 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 in a nutshell what it is that's taking place up until um, up until that that trial. I will say that you do get the moment where the title of the text is mentioned to kill a mockingbird yes. uh, in the conversation before the the rabbit dog is shot and in the movie that happens a lot earlier and right. it happens in the the book Considerably, probably about a third of the way through the through the text, it happens in chapter ten. Whereas earlier on in, in the movie, it does it, it takes place right after the, that first day of school. In fact, it happens halfway through that first school day, with that that lunch uh, meeting with the uh, with Walter Cunningham. Walter Cunningham. And I yeah. think that part of the reason for that is in the movie, what that allows is this kind of recognition of this symbol of innocence, mm-hmm. the mockingbird, and you don't want to kill a mockingbird yeah. because it doesn't do anything besides make beautiful music for us. Then, in the movie, you can then apply that to some of those other moments along the way. So, for instance, the, the uh, Nick, you were talking about the tree that gets filled with cement. Right. Or you're talking about the, the house that ends up burning yeah. down. Or Miss Mahdi's flowers that are ruined in, the, in, in that fire. All these symbols of innocence. In the movie, now you can start to apply that same symbol. Right. Whereas in the book you need to kind of retroactively go back and be like, Oh yeah,
1: that's kind of what it is that was going on. It's yeah, wow, but in the movie, isn't it right at the little supper scene where yes, you know, it well, like mm-hmm. he's pouring syrup over everything? Yep. And so again, like just well, being think, a good guest. And, and I think in the book it comes host. up because
0: Jem gets like a rifle, or like a, it's like a pellet gun for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And he's shooting things and he goes, You can shoot all the sparrows you want, but you can never all shoot the a J's, J's, right. all the jays. Yeah. But never a. Um, and actually, uh, J is also a term for a, a redneck, right? Huh. The, oh, you did another thing? Okay, it's a history time. Um, when, after the boll weevil came and destroyed the southern crops, a mm-hmm. bunch of southerners moved north and they didn't understand traffic rules, so they'd wander into the street. And so, wandering into the street when you're not supposed to is called jaywalking, right. because they were jays. Uh, you're never supposed to shoot at oh, yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Wow.
2: Yeah. yeah I, never, I never put that together. But that's that's really interesting, yeah. especially in light of all of the, the birds that are in the story, right? Yeah. You get the finches, you get the robinsons, you yeah. get the mockingbirds, obviously. Yeah. You know? And now here I am discovering that Jay is also one of the one of the birds that's there. So.
0: Yeah. And I
2: will say, too, the nice thing about
0: the, the three parts you mentioned is we learned a little bit more about Atticus. Because they mm-hmm. think about this as kind of nerd type. I mean, for lack of a better term, he's very bookish, but he was also the best shot in Alabama, yeah. mm-hmm. but he doesn't have a gun with him. Mm-hmm. But then you know when that scene shows up where he's sitting and just reading in front of the courthouse under the one light, yes. he could shoot them, but mm-hmm. chooses not to. It's this soft yeah. power that he has. Mm-hmm. And that scene is truly terrifying. Yeah, um, The kids aren't supposed to be there. They want to know where their father is and they sneak out. And this is one of the few scenes building up the trial then Dill realizes what's going on because he's gone so much of the year but he's there and then um, I think it's Mr. Cunningham that she recognizes and Scout goes Mr. Cunningham
2: how's Walter doing? yeah and that scene is so terrifying. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. And we, we were talking beforehand about different texts and different moments that would read differently as a parent, as, yeah. as opposed to a 7th or 8th grade student who's reading this for the first time. And I, I, I actually have it pulled out here, that moment on the Jill House steps Do where it. Where, uh, where Jem and Scout and Dill have snuck their way to uh, to to see their father now in the midst of a lynching mob. Uh, he's there, obviously, protecting Tom Robinson, as, as, as I was saying before. Um, and, and you get some, some serious fear in Atticus. It says, Atticus got up from his chair, but he was moving slowly, like an old man. He put the newspaper down very carefully, adjusting its creases with lingering fingers. They were trembling a little. Go home, Jim, he said. Take Scout and Dill home. We were accustomed to prompt, if not cheerful, acquiescence to Atticus's instructions, but from the way he stood, Jem was not thinking of budging. Go home, I said. Jem shook his head. As Atticus's fists went to his hips, so did Jem's. And as they faced each other, I could see little resemblance between them. Jem's soft brown hair and eyes, his oval face and snug-fitting ears were our mothers, contrasting oddly with Atticus's gray and black hair and square-cut features, but they were somehow alike mutual defiance made them alike son i said go home jem shook his head and so you get this moment where Jem's actually really stepping up for for what's right in a terrifying moment you're nick you're out nick you're absolutely right so in, in this in this moment where it's one of the only times that you see atticus is trembling out of fear and it's in this moment where it's where it's not fear for himself it's not even fear for tom robinson in that moment it's fear for those children uh, and, and he's trying to get, he's trying to get Jem to take Dill and scout home yeah. uh, and and Jem won't do it. And it's kind of this big moment for Jem stepping up um, in terms of, in terms of that moral development. Um, and again, it's one of those important moments that we,
1: that we break down and talk about in the yeah. You don't think he was afraid for himself?
2: Well, I think he was certainly afraid for himself. Um, but I think that the, I think that it's important that Harper Lee doesn't say that his, his hands were trembling before and. And Harper Lee also goes to such extent to say that he—he's uh, beforehand. He's putting his newspaper down, and he's—he that what it is that he says to the mob ahead of time kind of leads him to believe that he's—he's he's not as fearful for himself as he is for the children that are there. Um, and ultimately, it ends up being the innocence of those children, uh, as you're saying. Scout asks Walter, Mr. Walter Cunningham, how his entailments going along. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it becomes very, very abundantly clear to this uh, to this mob that's here that if they're going to go through with what it is that they came here to do, they're going to have to do it in front of these children, right? yeah. or or they're going to have to harm these children in the process. Um, yeah. And that that that's kind of that that innocence that that ends up uh, that ends up playing such a significant role throughout the story.
0: Well, and, and there's something very Deliberate, which is so interesting. Like he, everything he does needs to have a purpose when it's Atticus. Yeah. Um, we also find out that the editor-in-chief of the newspaper has a gun trained on them yeah. from across the street, which is a great detail later on. Um, but the line that I like is the one right afterwards when everyone's back home and he goes, "A mob is always made up of people, mm. no matter what." Mister Cunningham was part of a mob last night, but he was still a man. Yeah. Every mob in every little southern town is always made up of people. You know, doesn't say much for them, does it? That's, yeah. that's good uh, and then we start the trial yeah. um, and it's so funny because again uh, book wise we're like 65 70% through the novel and you could have told me this was half the novel yeah. because it, every moment of the trial is so incredibly impactful to the local drug who's really just drinking coke yeah. from it because he likes living on the black part of town and they're like look it gives them an excuse to hate me and I'm fine with that yeah. I, I, I love that um,
1: well, let me back up to this because it's such a pivotal scene and it's still so sadly relevant. Um, is the lynch mob itself, right? Yeah, and so Mike, how much do the kids are they aware? I mean, I know we talk about it in our 10th grade class, and and you know, we look at all those awful lynching postcards and we take the field trip to Montgomery. Um, but to understand when Harper Lee's writing this in the early 60s and the Freedom Riders and all that, this is really sort of radical stuff that she's putting out there. Yeah. And couched in this sort of like happy childhood memory story. So I'm wondering yeah. if you touch on that with the kids Yeah, so, so they ask about it we, we
2: do. We do. Uh, so we, we kind of started off before, before we even read the novel talking about when it was written and when it's taking place. Because there's a lot in those 30 years that are really important. Yeah. Uh, the novel i think it was written in 1960 and it's taking place in the early 1930s so the that gap between when it is that it's being written it's it's radical stuff for what it is that it's being written but it's also the the time frame that's it's, that it's taking place in in the 30s in Macon County Alabama we we do you you need to talk about why it is that this group of white men is there Um, And and so we do we say that this is not just a this is not just an angry mob. And I think that it's In in chapter one when you hear about Atticus's profound distaste for criminal law it's because of it's because of the you hear about it because of the 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 crimes that were committed by by his very first group of uh, people that he was defending Mm -hmm. Um, and it was it was a murder that had uh, that he had that everybody in town had witnessed apparently and they tried to they tried to say that uh that they were going to get off on uh, on pleading innocent and it didn't work and it says that they were the last people that were hanged in macomb county as a result of uh as a result of a criminal trial and it was the start of atticus's profound distaste for criminal law that's very different than why it is that that group of people is there on the jailhouse steps right and so we we do need to we, we talk about the different the the different kind of violence that you see in the story and why this one's different um, and it's and it's because they're there not to to bring harm to Atticus but they're there to bring harm to Tom Robinson I'm sure um, and and it's it's we, we we kind of stop and talk about it and it's um, the there are students that have questions about it and it it leads to um, it leads to some some challenging conversations, but I think worthwhile conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's it's one of those texts where you can't really beat around the bush with it. And I think that if you're gonna if you're gonna teach it, you you need to kind of address those moments. Um, totally. and, so, and so we do.
1: So we do. Good, yeah. yeah, yeah. To fully appreciate the weight of what's going on there yeah. for Atticus and for Tom and for just the whole social structure at the time, yeah.
2: Well, and
0: there's two things I want to just make a point of. It, it comes up, you know, several times, kind of building over time, but. The reason Atticus is tapped for this, which where he wouldn't otherwise have been tapped, is because he will actually defend Tom Robinson, mm-hmm. and th- the judge thinks he deserves an actual defense. And why are people pissed off? Because he's actually defending Tom Robinson. He could have done nothing and just been the lawyer, and Tom would have died, and everyone would have been fine with it.
1: Right. But <laughs> mostly he... because Tom is a black man, so they assume he's guilty, and all the yeah. loaded racism that's in that, right?
0: Um, and the other thing I want to point out now, because it comes important later. The role of the women because mm-hmm. this is the point when aunt alexandra is there wondering mm-hmm. where they are there's no women in these scenes other than scout mm-hmm. it's an all men because the women stay home and the the kind of cattiness the social structures the silence of the southern women comes into play later on mm-hmm. after the trial mm-hmm. in a very another heartbreaking scene oh yeah a truly
2: heartbreaking yeah.
0: Scene. yeah um so the trial
2: yeah, so the, the trial, kind of, uh, to, to talk about who it is that actually testifies during the trial, you get um, the the sheriff in town, Sheriff Heck Tate. Um, you get Bob Ewell. We should stop and explain what the trial is actually about. Yes.
0: <laughs> okay, so um, a, Tom Robinson is accused of raping um, a Ewell. Yeah, male Ewell. male Ewell. And that's a name I'm never going to get right. I apologize. It's male Ewell. Um, apparently, Paul Yule comes home. Um, there's a scuffle. Tom Robinson runs away. but Mayella claims to be raped, um, mm-hmm. and so Tom Tom is on trial for. I mean, I hate to say classic, but it's a standard kind of lynchable offense, which is that a black man has raped a white woman. Um, and Atticus is chosen to defend. And um, so, in the in the gallery up above, we have all the black community the people Mm -hmm. from literally the other side of the of town um that uh jim and scout know because at one point atticus was out of town and they go to church with calpurnia yes and so they know the black community down below are the white people including the the white jury Mm -hmm. which is important anyway so i just wanted to
2: make sure we and the euls
1: are of the sort of um lesser Class, I guess, They're the bottom of yeah, the society, they're the trashy. Yeah, um, they literally live next to the dump. Yeah, yeah. Um, So you can see that social hierarchy. Bob a drunk and yep. abusive mm-hmm. to his parents. That's all known in the yep. society, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the the people who testify, Sheriff Heck who was the uh, the first person kind of on onto the scene after uh, after the the incident took place. Um, so he's he's the first person that uh, that ends up testifying. Bob Ewell. Testifies as well. Mayella Yule takes the stand, and then uh, Tom Robinson himself does uh, does end up taking the stand. Um, and you learn that Tom Robinson, at a young age, um, got his hand stuck in a cotton gin, um, and as a result of uh, as a result of that, he he did not have the usage of his left hand. Um, and the injury that Mayella sustained was to the right side of her face. And so the, the that's an important moment because it pretty much shows beyond a shadow of a doubt that Tom Robinson could not have caused the injuries that Mayella sustained uh, during during that attack. Which, Which
0: is parallel because the second line of the entire book his left arm was so much shorter than his right when he walked. Yeah, because that's exactly what happens to Jim as well. Yeah. It's it's beautiful kind of Chekhovian parallelism. Yeah. Um, But, uh, I mean, we, we don't have to go through the whole trial because, but this is the scene that really makes the movie a classic. This is yep. an incredibly hard scene to read because Atticus is doing his damnedest, but he knows that there's no way he can win. He's just wanting to create, as he puts it, that one shadow of a doubt. Yeah. Um, it's heartbreaking. It, this it is absolutely the scene that breaks is. me every time. Um, even Especially Mayella, who's convinced that just because Atticus is giving her respect, that in some way he's insulting her. I know, how yeah.
2: heartbreaking is that, right? It's so I mean, sad.
0: Oh. It's so sad. Um, um, so the version of stories we get eventually, I think, well, at least the way I get it, because, we're, we're, you know, it becomes Rashaban for a second. Uh, Mayella is secretly in love with Tom Robinson. Um, and she's trying to make a move on him and Tom Robinson in escaping embarrasses her. And therefore, Mm -hmm. uh, when he's, he's fleeing is when the father comes home and beats his daughter pretty severely, um, with his right hand, Mm -hmm. uh, which, so Tom, A, couldn't have done it. Um, but B also there's this kind of social norm that's being broken and therefore everything has to be hidden.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, now, in in the end, one of the more compelling characters for me is the judge. The judge yeah. who seems very casual, but wants his court to be kept very orderly, mm-hmm. and he does not like the Yule's. Yeah, um, he does not like this how they're manipulating his trial. Um, and more than once, the entire courtroom erupts because of how. I mean. The, the Yules are the most unlikable people, and it's even sometimes hard to be sympathetic to Mayella because mm-hmm. she's mean to Atticus, and we love Atticus so much. And yeah. it's just, it's, 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 it's so well written. I want to know what inspired this because something must have, it feels so real. Yeah. Um, and Mike and I have talked about this when we talked about Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas a little bit. But this is part of the beginning of the kind of new journalism style of literature. Like I said, Truman Capote wrote In Cold Blood, which mm-hmm. kind of triggers it. But this feels so familiar, so lived in, that you wonder if there was something that triggered this. Or like
2: yeah, that. yeah, absolutely. And I think that that uh, you kind of get that coming to fruition in Atticus's closing statements. Where I, I, I have it, I'm not sure. Please. Yeah, I'd love to read just the last paragraph that we get of Atticus's closing statement, and it speaks to Nick what you're talking about, where where the judge, I think it's Judge Taylor, right. who wants to kind of like he wants for a he wants for Atticus to be the person that is defending Tom Robinson, because I think that Judge Taylor, you're right, he's such an interesting character, but I think that he wants to believe that that. Even in the messed up world in which he lives, there can still be one place where people can be treated based off of their based off of their merit. And so you get the the very end of Atticus's closing statement that goes like this. I'm no idealist to believe firmly in the integrity of our courts and in the jury system. That is no ideal to me. It is a living working reality. Gentlemen, a court is no better than each man of you sitting before me on this jury. A court is only as sound as its jury and a jury is only as sound as the men who make it up. I'm confident that you gentlemen will review without passion the evidence you have heard come to a decision and restore this defendant to his family in the name of God do your duty. And so you get this moment where where Atticus is saying that look I I understand that in the town of Maycomb the that there is this quote usual disease to use the line that he that he spoke back at the at the Christmas scene there's this usual disease but disease but not here not in this court in this court a person is is based off of or, or is treated based off of their own merit and not based off of the color of their skin and it, it's important to Atticus it's important to judge Taylor and I think that it's he has, in that moment, proven that Tom Robinson is innocent. And so, when he's saying, "For the love of God, do your duty," what he's saying there is, you need to put aside your your prejudices, and you need to look at this at this at this uh, trial for what it is, and and see that Tom Robinson is uh, is an innocent man. And of course, that. Is described as knives going into the back of Jim as they announce that that they still find him guilty despite the fact
1: yeah, right. that Atticus proved Jim that he was is innocent. Like, we got him. We got him. Exactly. We got and there's that tension and the dramatic irony between what Jim knows and what Young Scout is knowing in a, in right. retrospect uh, mm-hmm. as she's telling the story.
0: And they have this. Um, they're talking about the jury and they're deliberating so long, which no one expected, mm-hmm. and it was because of a Cunningham. Yeah. Um and he goes, I just believe there was decency in it. Like there's just yeah I guess something about Atticus you want you want to be right, and it's and it's sad to see him break because he's the center of this the moral center of the whole family yeah. in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um so Tom Robinson is found guilty. Um I mean and literally at one point in, in, in an interesting scene that again it made it feel very real to me, Calpurnia comes into the courtroom because yeah. the kids are missing. And the reverend's like, oh, sh- they've been up here with me the whole time. And Atticus, uh, Atticus just wants like at Atticus would. Um, yeah. Might as well stay till the end now. Yeah. Uh, we should. I guess we should mention as well. At this point, Dill has run away from home and is staying with them without yeah. his parents knowing. Um, essentially, his parents uh, or his father has a new wife, mm-hmm. and he just doesn't feel like he belongs in the home anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, which. I mean, you said it's true in Capote. Like, it, to me, it sounds like something that must have happened. Uh, yeah. Because it just, it's such a weird detail otherwise, but uh, they're all there watching. Uh, they go home for dinner, and they come back in time to see the deliberation, and mm-hmm. Jim is kind of crushed. Yeah. Because he believes in the decency of these people, and it's this kind of blow against what he believes his town represents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, there's kind of two more events in the book that I think worth mentioning.
2: Yeah. So, so after after the trial takes place, you get kind of the aftermath of the trial, and uh, and it's kind of in those moments where uh, you see that. That Atticus is still going to try to uh, to get Tom Robinson off on appeal. They're going to try and move this case up through the system in order to. Uh, they, Atticus is convinced that he's done enough in order to be able to try and uh, to try and get Tom Robinson off on appeal. Um, but it it turns out that Tom Robinson, in being uh, in in losing the case and being uh, and being held, tries to escape. Um, and as he's uh, as he's trying to escape, he is shot and killed. Well, um, and shot so
1: 17 times, 17
2: right? times yeah. back. Yeah. Uh, and so the you you learn this information uh, through Dill's mouth, oddly yeah. enough, who's telling the story about how Helen Robinson collapses to the floor when when he when she hears uh, that her husband, mm-hmm. Tom Robinson, has uh, has met this fate. Um, and it's uh, I think it's. Mr. B.B. B. Underwood, who is the, uh, the... The editorial, the the, yeah. the owner and and writer of the 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 Maycomb County newspaper, who writes a story that compares, in case in, in case the symbolism hasn't been made clear enough to you, he compares Tom Robinson to a mockingbird, right. and, and and compares uh, Tom Robinson's death to the senseless killing of songbirds and mockingbirds. Right. Uh, so you can see that that parallelism of that innocence of Tom Robinson and the and the death of those songbirds as well. Yeah, and we should also talk about how the, the different communities respond to this.
0: Yeah. Right because the town kind of settles back into itself except for the black community. They Mm -hmm. stand as Atticus leaves the courtroom, they start bringing food, which Atticus rejects if only that this is their only food. Mm -hmm. He he acknowledges that, I mean, at one point, I think it's Scout asks, are we poor? He goes, we're as poor as the rest of them. We just, I'm lucky enough to have a job in the city, right? Like there's there's that to it as well, but they're giving him food and he's, you know, he feels loved by this community. But this is also when the Yules start to up their thing, because Atticus sees it as, I've taken away his last shred of dignity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, At first it's spitting at him in public, and then it's yelling at the kids, and then we'll get to the end here. But in some ways Atticus has the most respect he's ever had, but he's also never been in more danger. Right. Um, But the killing of Tom Robinson, A, is crushing, because Mm -hmm. Atticus really truly believes he has a chance. Mm But it also happens at this dinner party or this tea oh, where Miss Alexandra is trying to, again, this is this is Tom, this is, t- Tom, uh, this is Huck, uh, Huck Finn trying to be civilized, right? Totally. She's like trying to get Scout to wear a dress and hand out hors d'oeuvres. And all they're doing is gossiping and oh, gossiping terrible. and gossiping. And this horrible news comes down the pike. There's nothing she can do but stiff up her lip. We're gonna continue this one. Yeah, mm-hmm. that that is crushing uh, because Atticus does what he has to do, which is you know tell the widow, um, and then smash cut to school one more time. Yeah, uh, she's a ham. Mm-hmm.
1: A big... in the middle there where Maudie and um, and Alexander have that conversation, yeah. and she's talking about how Atticus is. Oh, what's the line here? Um, is it the, the his food doesn't stick going down does well, it well no I mean they're perfectly willing to let him do what they're too afraid to do themselves oh it yeah, yeah cost yeah. him a nickel and so the idea that Atticus is this paragon of virtue mm-hmm. and all that and people both admire him for that and exploit him for that because right. nobody else has the spine to to do the right thing even though he knows it's not yeah. going to end well um, so it's very explicit there for, for the kids to, yeah. to say that's who Atticus is
0: well I mean in like Throughout it, like, because it starts out with why were they able to, like, take advantage of Tom Robinson? As you grow older, you see white men cheat black men every day of your life. But let me tell you something, and don't forget it, whatever a white man does that to a black man, no matter who he is, how rich he is, or how fine a family comes from, that man is trash. And then later on, he's saying, well, the guards tried to stop him, right? Like, mm-hmm. they're the because that's what white men do. They they they're gonna stop. He got shot seventeen times. It's so, House is always strangely prescient. But it's sad. Right? Yeah, it's so I mean, it's sad. sad how relevant it is yep.
1: still. I mean, it, I'm sure it happens every year. You teach it. There's yep. something that race related comes up that's very yep. similar, and so it's all too real that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. The ending.
0: Which I almost—I don't want to say I always forget about, but when it starts up, I'm like, "Oh right, the book isn't over yet." Yeah. Because when Tom Robinson dies, it's such a punctuation mark, and the yeah. way Attica, Atticus takes it, and like the kids, you like you feel in some way, Jim is now someone who's seen the dark side of the world. This is, you know, the next step for Scout. Like the world has changed,
2: and then there's more, and it's so worse. Yeah. <laughs> it's so darker. Yeah, so the just to kind of go through it real quick, the uh, the Halloween pageant is the the night where, as you're saying, Scout is dressed as a ham, um, and on the Perfect. way on the way back from uh, on the way back from the, the pageant, Jem uh, and Scout are attacked by Bob Ewell, um, and in the the tussle that takes place, it's it's difficult to see. Scout has the ham costume that goes up over her eyes, so she can't really see what it is that takes place, but it turns out that Boo Radley, um, who saw this attack take place, uh, does come and save the day. Yes. Um, and in the, as a result of this attack, Jem gets his arm badly broken at the elbow, this is where that first sentence of the, of the story comes through, um, and Boo Radley carries, carries Jem to the Finch house uh, with, with Scout trailing closely behind. Um, and it's at that time that they, they call Sheriff Hectate um, to, to the house to kind of figure out what it is that they want to do. Because Boo Radley has been staying, he's, he's, he's been withheld, or not withheld, he's been, he's been kind of living a, a life on his lonesome in his house. He does not want to go out into the public. He's a very kind of, he's described as being purely white and very innocent and doesn't want... To, doesn't want to go out into the uh, into kind of the, the public forum that is this this kind of nasty town of, of Makum County. And they are trying to decide what it is that they want to to do about the fact that now this very private individual is the one that is uh, is responsible for the death of Bob Ewell, but also for saving the Thank beloved you. Fitch children. Well and and the, the part that sticks with me about that discomfort is he doesn't even want to sit on the
0: chairs yeah he wants to kind of stand in the corner and when they sit on the front porch so he's more comfortable he kind of just stands on the darkened edge um and it's not until uh i think it's Hectate. i mean i forget who it says but calls him arthur that it clicks to scout that yeah oh you're boo Radley. i mean mr arthur like yeah. you just it's just it's 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 incredible um because I mean, we can describe this, but she's wearing like a chicken wire ham outfit because yeah. they're supposed to represent all the crops that come from Acum. Mm-hmm. But she can't see, mm-hmm. and so she just describes it: um, a man passing under it, a man with staccato steps carrying someone a load too heavy for him. Uh, he was going around the corner. He was carrying Jim, and she describes the arm is like dangling, and mm-hmm. it's, this also is a truly terrifying scene. Mm-hmm. But then Heck Tate says. Bob Ewell's dead. Yeah. Uh, There's a knife between his ribcage and you're just... And then for a while in the explanation, because Scout doesn't know what happened, she said that she thinks her brother fought back. Mm -hmm. And so Atticus is convinced that Jim somehow killed this man um, and doesn't want to just let it go away. He wants to say, like, no, there has to be a trial because I don't want this hanging over my son's head. He goes, how is he going to lift Ewell with a broken arm and stab him?
2: just let it go yeah and, and, and i think that I, i've always read that scene as as kind of halfway atticus's search for justice and wanting to get to the bottom of what it is that's happening and also recognizing that if it is indeed arthur radley if it is indeed Boo Radley that's responsible for this he's starting to get the impression that that gem would do better on the stand than this totally innocent reserved character oh you think so of, so so I uh, that's how I've always read Interesting. it based off of based off of Hectate's uh, statement so if, if, if this will probably be I would imagine the last one that I'd be reading but do you mind if I read, if you I, I read through one page wow. what Hectate it. says he says uh, he says this this is as they're on the as they're on the porch and this is what leads me to believe that that Atticus was looking to try and protect Boo Radley Hectate says this, I never heard tell that it's against the law for a citizen to do his utmost to prevent a crime from being committed, which is exactly what he did. But maybe you'll say it's my duty to tell the town all about it and not hush it up. Know what happened then? All the ladies in Makeham, including my wife, be knocking on his door, bringing angel food cakes. To my way of thinking, Mr. Finch, taking the one man who's done you in this town a great service and dragging him with his shy ways into the limelight, to me, that's a sin. It's a sin and I'm not about to have it on my head if it was any other man it'd be different but not this man Mr. Finch Mr. Tate was trying to dig a hole in the floor with the toe of his boot he pulled his nose then he massaged his left arm I may not be much Mr. Finch but I'm still sheriff of Macon County and Bob Ewell fell on his knife mm-hmm. good night sir Mr. Tate stamped off the porch and strode across the front yard, his car door slammed and he drove away. Mm-hmm. So I I take that to mean that that Heck Tate recognizes in this moment that the right thing to do, and the, the line comes a little bit earlier on where he says he he uh, once again he we get an allusion to the Bible where he says, Let the dead bury the dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that hectate Tate recognizes that the that the right thing to do is to protect Boo Bradley in this instance and just say that Bob Ewell fell on his knife. I will kind of like take a step back to give a little bit of the, the teaching aspect of this. At the end of the term, we always, have our eighth-grade students write a paper about the bildungsroman that they, the the bildungsromans plural that they that they see in the story, and they can argue uh, which character they think has the most profound and the most important bildungsroman, the most important moral development in the story. Um, and as a result, we have a lot of students that go with with Scout that say that her as the narrator, her moral development throughout the story, recognizing the merit of Boo Radley, that that's the most important. We have a lot that say that it's that it's all about Jem, and Jem being able to uh, to protect his sister and be kind of that uh, that growing into that fatherly role for Scout, that that's the most important. But then we also give them the option of arguing whether the town's Bildungsroman is the most mm-hmm. important. And quite a few students aptly argue that, that they think that the town of Maycomb has the most important Bildungsroman, and they cite that moment of Hectate kind of standing up for Boo Radley and standing up for for that innocence as the moment that they think is, is the most important moment in the story to show that the town has developed. And they might have made the wrong decision when it came to the trial, but all these moments throughout the story of Mr. B.B. Underwood writing that article and Mr. Heck Tate standing up here, Mr. Link D's defending Helen Robinson, that all of these moments are... are the, the town's way of proving that they've developed morally. And that's why it takes that last moment in the story rather than the, it just ending with the trial. I think that that's part of the reason why we get this scene with Hectate on the, on the porch.
1: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I've never thought of it that way. I've always thought of it just as Atticus is blind to the whole issue and Moral he's just come. thinking of his son because you can't imagine Boo Radley doing anything like that. But I think that's plausible so,
0: yeah, I, to I teach don't it that way. Yeah, I don't I... know i i i get it in the um the scout you know because as at one point she goes um you know yes sir i understand I yeah. you know she like really kind of climbs under her father's lap it's yeah he fell on his knife it, it, it it's it's just i mean to me the end of the scene is somehow even is even more important because he goes back to doing what he does which is yeah. he sits at the foot of his son's bed mm-hmm. and he starts to yes yeah. you know it's it's more of a kid's book it's you know it's a little mystery with with pirates i think yeah Um, But, you know, in in kind of a regression, Scout wants to sit in his lap and read with him. So he, you know, takes out the bookmark, starts at the beginning and reads it through. It's it's a very sweet little scene.
1: Yeah. It's so beautiful, just the way those, I mean, just as far as the writing and the pacing, the way she un- fails this at the end so the scout starts to figure out oh it's actually Boo did it and actually this monster is in the corner there yeah. and then she says hey Boo you know that line gets me every time Yeah, yeah. And, um, and
2: then that story that, that's read at the end it's actually The, the Great Ghost by Secretary Hawkins yeah. and it's this, this story about a misunderstood Frankster in the town, and it turns out that it's all that story of Boo Radley. And actually, when in class, when we finish the book, we actually go back to chapter one and we see you can see where it is that the, thing, the great ghost right. was acquired. It was acquired when Jim and chapter one goes and touches the Radley house. Yeah. So it's just it kind of like links in that story with the story of Boo Radley and not judging a book by its cover. And it just it ties off so well there at the end of the book.
1: And I'm jumping ahead, but the last page was so beautiful as far as like scouts coming of age. Uh, because when she walks Bo, uh, Boo home, she is effectively is escorting him. And yeah. here's this grown man, and here's this little girl. And so we talk about that a lot. But then the narration switches point of view at the end when she's standing on the porch and looking yeah. out. And oh, telling gosh, the whole yeah. story in, in you know, the three final paragraphs. So that's the whole novel in three paragraphs. But it's from Boo's point of view this time. And Boo's children needed him. And just, oh, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's so, so, so It's yeah. so it's wonderfully done. so great. Uh, and then everything comes full circle. Yeah, it's
2: the, the, I've, I've got it just pulled up here. It's just like a sentence. Atticus was right. One time he said, "You never really know a man until you stand on mm-hmm. in his shoes and walk around in them." Just standing on the Radley porch was enough.
1: Yeah, I love that. It's great.
0: Well, it's funny because he is the monster in some ways that they thought he's a scary guy. He's willing to kill. He kills. Yeah. But it's for the right reasons, right? Like, um, she has the line. Uh, Attica uh, Mr. Tate was right Attica just engaged himself and looked at me what do you mean well it'd sort of be like shooting a mockingbird yep. wouldn't it there it is <laughs> right like you're like oh she got she got the title in the end yeah. <laughs> uh, when he turned out the light and walked into Jem's room he would be there all night Yep. that's it he's you know he's a good father mm-hmm. Um, so it sounds like we shouldn't do this book anymore <laughs> it's fantastic I, I mean it's great. I'd, yeah. I'd put it up with as probably the greatest American novel I mean there's a lot that you could argue, and I wouldn't argue back. But this is a masterpiece.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if we want to go there, running out of time. Um, did you guys read *Go Set a Watchman*? I did it's not. Sort of like, I did not.
2: Yeah. I obviously had heard all about it, and I had been told. I had been told the whole gamut. I've been told by people, "Don't read it. It's going to change your opinion of Atticus." I've been told by people, "You have to read it because it's going to change your opinion of Atticus." Uh, but I, I have not read it.
1: Have you like No, I started. I read four chapters, and then <laughs> just for whatever reason, I didn't finish it. No comment on the book or yeah, you know, whatever yeah. was going on in my life at the time. But um, yes, for those of you that don't know, it's the prequel, right? And, I, I believe so, yeah, yeah. And so it's sort of what Atticus is—a a fuller picture of Atticus, and he's not the sort of— great hero of this novel he's more complicated and more representative of yeah. the south in that time period so
0: i mean i um, haven't read it I, I i have no interest i mean part of it too was the duress it came out under yes like she was an mm, old woman point. with, duress, with yeah. like dementia and she didn't a really shaky, want it
1: you know um, yeah and it's just manager who seemed to push the publication yeah yeah and i
0: mean this i mean and just knowing her public life she didn't like being a public figure and that's why she did so few public appearances and yada 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 it it seemed to me she didn't want it published and if it doesn't add anything to the story in some ways i I don't
2: have an urge to do it it's not a
1: prequel but she she wrote it before she wrote mockingbird right
2: i i I don't know the kind of the timeline i have have no idea that's right um
0: you know i mean but i guess (laughs) forwarding the in the timeline we're going to be doing a Confederacy of Dunces, and John Kennedy O'Toole has a similar mm-hmm. story where he may or may not have written this book. It was published after his death. His mom had a lot to do with it. Mm-hmm. Is it against his wishes? You know, the, other, the difference is that turned out to be a masterpiece. Right. You know, had the had the other book been a masterpiece too, mm-hmm. we probably would not be talking about it in such confused way. Yeah. Um. So I don't know if it's fair, but you know, maybe I'll pick it up just to say I've read it at some point, but i have not at this point.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, we're out of time. Uh, I appreciate what you're doing. This time, this year, we're going to try to actually stick to a damn schedule. Um, so I will tell you what our next book will be so you can read along with us. So in two weeks' time, we will be doing Douglas Adams, A Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, don't something. Panic. Yeah. <laughs> and bring a towel. Yeah. Uh, something completely different. Um, yeah. There's not a lot of dark southern gothic in there. Um, but, uh, thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. And... Uh, because I want to make sure I do this
2: every time. Plug your social networking, Mike. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, I have a. Uh, let me just say that this past year has been a pretty monumentous one for me. Um, obviously, the the birth of my daughter Avery. I was asked to join as a co-host on the Required Reading podcast, and now uh, I I actually finished sure. very unequal yes. things. Let's <laughs> so be clear about this, please. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and I and I also uh, I also finished the the manuscript for a novel that I wrote, um, and so. So there you go. In in order to uh, in order to try and kind of raise a readership and an audience for uh, for that novel, um, I have started an author's page on Instagram. Uh, so on there, I'll be doing a couple of things. One of them is obviously keeping people and followers up to date with uh, some of the publication information and uh, and how all of that is going for uh, for the novel that I wrote. But also on top of that, um, I'll be going through I'll be going through the Old English manuscript of Beowulf uh, and kind of piecing our way through that and and having some posts about that. Um, but for required reading listeners, uh, it's relevant because I'll also be posting on there what it is that we're reading, uh, what it is that's coming up next, uh, and it'll be a place for you guys to to go and see kind of what it is that we're doing all with required reading, and uh, you'll be able to take a look at the post that I'm doing on there in order to keep yourself, uh, keep yourself up to date. So, uh, the handle is my full name. It's Michael period C. period Carol, mm-hmm. uh, and if you, you take a look there, you'll be able to keep yourself up to date with everything that we're doing here on Required Reading. Very good, love it.
0: Um, and I, I, you will never find out my personal podcast, though I'm sure some of you have, uh, but I will plug the ones that I do with the school, which is, of course, this. Um, Tales from the Social Studies Department, which is completely done by APUS Kids. Uh, they teach the lessons that they wish I had taught over the course of the year. <laughs> Uh, we have a full year's worth already scheduled, recorded, and uploaded. So enjoy that. And we have uh, Mare's Podcast Experiment, which is my podcasting class and what they do. And some of it's comedy, some of it's interview, some of it is fully scripted sci fi. So do what you will with that. Um, but in the meantime, if you're only listening to this, we appreciate you guys. Uh, thanks for sharing. Thanks for reviewing. And thanks for passing us around because. Next time you need help with an English paper, this is the most we can do. (laughs) But um, the fact that we charted in so many countries and so many different places really made us very happy, very proud of what we do. Um, So, and that's all you. Um, So, thanks. Bye, guys. Required reading is a product of Mares... Podcasting and letter Podcast. It is hosted by Nick Hoffman and co hosted by Mike Burns and Mike Carroll. It is edited and produced by Nick Hoffman. The theme is Sands by Davis Burns. The opinions expressed are opinions of the hosts and the guests, but not of Marist School. All rights reserved. Thanks.